Hello, I'm Brett Dillon, and this is The Movie Chronicles, stuck in the echo chamber of 2012, to discuss animated movies. First up is Ernest and Celestine. Director Stéphane Aubier, Vincent Patard, and Benjamin Renner. Script Daniel Panak. Editor Fabian Alvarez-Guerro. Music Vincent Courtois. Actors Lambert Wilson, Pauline Bruner, and Anne-Marie Loop. Actor English Edition Lauren Bacall. How much trouble can a bear and a mouse get into? Turns out a lot. This is a world divided in two. Bears rule the upper world, rats and mice hold sway over the lower. The rats and mice need the bears to provide them with discarded teeth. Rodents are always losing them to their incessant gnawing. The metaphor is the class struggle in which each class has to keep to themselves. Of course, there is more to the film than just this. The film suggests we can transcend the class struggle. Ernest is a bear, earmarked to become a judge, who is, in fact, a street musician. Celestine is a mouse who draws. In the strength of art, they form a bond that transgresses their societies. This is not the only transgressing going on. There is a reason the movie posters link them with Bonnie and Clyde. Animated in pastel shades to give everything an non-threatening, cosy look, Ernest and Celestine is a slow-paced but with beautiful artwork which allows the subtle shading to draw attention to the lines of animation. We open in an orphanage in the mouse zone. The drunk mistress is putting the children to sleep with a creepy tale of the murderous behaviour of bears to rodents. They must beware the bear. Celestine scoffs and is disciplined. She is an artist who has been drawing pictures of bears and rodents living in harmony. This goes against perceived ideology and she is turned into an outcast. Celestine has a day job, scouring Bear City for discarded teeth. On this day, due to her tidiness, she has been ordered to return with 50 teeth. Instead, she becomes trapped in a dustbin. Ernest is a bear, and a growly one. It is winter. He wants to sleep, but he is hungry. His work, if you can call it that, is busking in the town square. It's winter, as I said, and bears aren't very active in the winter, and when they are, they are grouchy. Hunger drives him to search through rubbish bins until he eventually finds Celestine. She tries to talk him out of being a cliché, and fortunately for her, Ernest sees the wisdom of this especially as Celestine says she knows a place he can eat as much as he wants for free. The pair break into the cellar of a sweet shop, and Ernest gorges himself. Across the street is a dentist, with all the teeth Celestine needs to get home. What she needs now is help to get the teeth back home. When Ernest is arrested, Celestine frees him, but makes him promise to help her. They rob the dentist. 
Celestine's return would be a triumph if Ernest wasn't discovered sleeping in the orphanage. A chase ensues that brings bear and mouse police together. Celestine and Ernest steal the sweet shop's van and make their escape to Ernest's house. This is so far out of town they are left in peace all winter. In the meantime, they have to bond. Ernest discovers Celestine is an artist. He encourages her to paint. Celestine discovers Ernest is an entertainer. More importantly, he has rejected his family of lawyers and judges to follow his dream. They inspire each other. When Ernest gets a cold, Celestine nurses him to health. When they have nightmares, they provide sympathy to each other. Spring arrives, and so do the police. Ernest is captured by the mouse police and Celestine by the bear. They refuse to rat on each other, although barely. Ernest is sentenced to death for being a terrifying bear. He does manage to set the courthouse on fire and save the judge. This is beneath the bear courthouse, which also burns. Celestine saves the bear judge. The two judges pardon the pair and ask them what they want to do. What they want is to be with one another. History strikes and the world rings. On. January the 3rd. The French Senate passed a bill criminalizing the denial of the Armenian genocide. May the 15th. Francois Hollande became president of France. July the 20th. Twelve people were murdered and 58 injured at a mass shooting during a screening of The Dark Knight Rises in a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado. U.S. politicians tut-tut about movie violence rather than deal with the issue of mass shootings in a real space. The response is, in fact, less than animated unless you count the swift taking of bribes by politicians offered from the gun lobby. November the 6th. Barack Obama is elected President of the USA. December the 14th. 20 people are murdered in a mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Politicians run with the narrative that this is a false flag operation involving crisis actors. This is the turning point, folks. The USA turned its face away from reality and let right-wing goons bully people away from the truth. As a country, the US was no longer able to determine what reality is. Or, as Donald, I dye my hair and whore-piss, Trump would later say, there are good people on both sides. As if that's a good way to determine truth.
For those of you who don't have a weenie, good news! Now you can have a Frankenweenie. Director, Tim Burton. Script, John August. Director of Photography, Peter Sorg. Editor, Chris Lebenson and Mark Solomon. Music, Danny Elfman. Actors, Charlie Tahan, Catherine O'Hara, Martin Short, Martin Landau, Atticus Schaefer, Winona Ryder, Frank Welker, and Christopher Lee. In the 80s, Disney and Tim Burton parted company over the first version of this story. They got back together for this stop-motion feature-length version packed with material that would give conniptions to the studio executives that were happy to see the back of Burton. That said, this movie is 30 minutes of plot and an hour of suffering that undermines the theme of acceptance of difference. It's also bad science to suggest love in an experiment that is not psychological. The two improvements to the original script are the characters of Edward Gore, great concept yet his potential is wasted, and Sparky's love match, the Bride of Frankenstein referencing Poodle. Apart from Victor Frankenstein and Sparky the dog, all the characters are presented as butt plugs in the diarrhea of life. Victor is bland. We can connect to his situation emotionally, but we are given nothing to connect to him as a character. Sparky is a cipher, one of Stalin's plot-useful idiots. Most kids love to be scared in a safe environment. Modern Disney prefers not to scare kids. The film is semi-digested vomit being fed to our children. It is pretentious in a bad way. It pretends to have an emotional core when that core is only what we, as viewer, bring to the film. It pretends to be postmodern, referencing early Hollywood horror films and the Japanese Godzilla cycle, yet offers no insight or critique on these. That is, we are given the iconography without the context, given that the intended audience can be assumed to be ignorant even of the iconography, this is lazy and confusing for the intended audience. Director Tim Burton was born on August 25th, 1958, in Burbank, California, USA. As a child, Tim made films on 8mm film, often utilizing stop-motion animation. He was influenced by the visual style of Dr. Zeus and the imagination of Roald Dahl. Tim attended the California Institute of Arts to study character animation. In 1981, after graduation, Tim was offered an apprenticeship at Walt Disney Productions. It was not a happy fit. His concept art was often rejected. His first short, 1982's Vincent, got a very limited release. Tim's directorial debut in 1983 for the Disney Channel was shelved after one screening, and his 1984 follow-up, Frankenweenie, got him fired for making a film that would be too dark and scary for children to see. As luck would have it, Paul Rubens saw the film and hired Tim to direct Pee-wee's Big Adventure, 1985. 
It not only became a hit, but introduced Tim to composer Danny Elfman, whom he has used ever since. It was Tim's ability to produce high-end product on a low budget that got him the directing job on Batman 1989. From that moment on, Tim was able to choose his own projects and did so with an eccentric quality and surefire aesthetic, even for pictures that were way beneath him. Scriptwriter John August was born on August the 4th, 1970. John has a degree in journalism from Drake University in Iowa, USA. While at uni, he participated in a film program and decided to take up a scriptwriting career. He made his debut in 1999 and his first collaboration with Tim Burton in 2003. John said, The reality is that most things that actually become movies aren't brand new ideas. The movies that get made are based on some pre-existing piece of intellectual property. Composer Danny Elfman was born on May 29, 1953 in Los Angeles, California, USA. Danny was rejected from his elementary school orchestra by having no propensity for music. This changed in high school when he discovered jazz, Stravinsky, and 20th century composers, or, as he later said, I get drawn to things that don't make any sense, and I learned early on not to resist that. After touring the world, by which I mean Africa via France, Danny was asked to be musical director for the street theatre group The Mystic Knights of Oingo Boingo by his brother Richard. Richard then produced the movie Forbidden Zone, shot in 1977 and released in 1982, and asked Danny to write the score. Tim Burton then invited Danny to score Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and it was game on! Danny was later to say, after many collaborations with Tim, People expect us to have some invisible shorthand, but it never gets any easier. Tim is just as complex now, maybe more so. Every time I play music for him, I'm as nervous as I was that first occasion. Countless times I've played something and watched him put his head in his hands and start pulling at his hair. I've never been unhappy with where we ended up, but most of the time we've had to spiral around quite a bit to get there. You have to be half composer, half psychiatrist. Without proper signage, people kept falling into the grave. On January the 24th, James Farentino, the U.S. actor born 1938. March the 10th, Jean Giraud, the French comic book artist born 1938. April 29th, Joel Goldsmith, the U.S. composer, born 1957. May the 8th, Morris Sendak, the U.S. author, born 1928. June the 5th, Ray Bradbury, the U.S. author, born 1920. July the 29th, Chris Marker, the French director, born 1921.
December the 27th, Harry Carey Jr., the U.S. actor, born 1921. It's easy to be normal. It's not so easy to be paranormal. Just think how hard it must be to be paranormal. Director, Sam Fell. Director and script, Chris Butler. Director of photography, Tristan Oliver. Editor, Christopher Murray Green. Music, John Bryan. Actors, Cody Smith-McPhee, Tucker Albrizi, Anna Kendrick, Casey Affleck, Christopher Mintz-Plass, Leslie Mann, Bernard Hill, John Goodman, and Nicholas Guest. Paranorman should become a stop-motion horror classic. Scary enough for children, while the delight of the film is picking up the movie references. The Sixth Sense, for example, a boy can talk to ghosts, yet things aren't quite what they appear. Extensive quoting from John Carpenter scores and references to the famous monsters. The 3D adds something indefinable to the animation, even though it isn't part of the storytelling kit. Norman is a 10-year-old horror movie emo geek who talks to ghosts. He is also the only one who can end a witch's curse. Needless to say, he doesn't do a good job, or this would be a short film. And so, the shambling corpses of the accusers of the witch rise up to terrorize the town. Director Chris Butler was born on January the 1st, 1974, in Liverpool, England. Chris studied animation at the University of Creative Arts in South England. He said, Paranorman is definitely a, a result of movies that made me who I am. Norman is like me, the kind of kid who likes to write stories. I was a quiet kid, and I loved to sit in my room and make up stories about monsters and zombies. Actor Cody Smith-McPhee was born on June the 13th, 1996, in Adelaide, Australia. Cody began his career in the award-winning Romulus My Father, 2007. International attention was gained with the release of The Road, 2009. In 2017, Cody was diagnosed with a degenerative disease which has left him blind in one eye. Actor Christopher Mintz-Plass was born on June the 20th, 1989, in Los Angeles, California, USA. He observed, I just hated school. I don't like to learn. Don't teach me anything. A true American, in other words. Next episode, you'll have to give me a hand or two. From the next episode onwards, both the best science fiction movies of all time and the series, series of episodes, will be available to subscribers only. Subscribers will be able to learn all about The Hands of Orlac, Alita, Queen of Mars, and the Pachis series in the upcoming months. If you're interested in learning about modern animation films, turn your wallet towards Movie Chronicles 2019, an ebook available at an e-store near you. If you like this podcast and want the subscription-only episodes in your feed, consider becoming a Patreon supporter or subscribe to the show at Buzzsprout. Remember, 
these both come with the special privilege of being able to lord it over me. Until next time, auf Wiedersehen.